Welcome to Adoption Roundtable, a place to encounter the latest adoption research, policy, and practice in an accessible way. This is a space for adoptees, adoptive families, birth families, and adoption professionals. I'm Dr. Emily Helder, a clinical psychologist, researcher, and professor at Calvin University. I am also the co-editor of the Rutledge Handbook of Adoption, along with Dr. Alicia Marr and Dr. Gretchen Robel. In season one of Adoption Roundtable, we'll be having conversations with the authors of chapters in the Handbook of Adoption. They are top international scholars in a diversity of fields, and together we'll talk about their work and what it means for understanding adoption. So welcome, I'm Dr. Emily Helder, and I'm here with Debbie Riley and Ann Atkinson. Debbie is the CEO of the Center for Adoptive Support and Education, or CASE, and the co-author with Ellen Singer of the chapter uh, in the Rutledge Handbook of Adoption, Training for Adoption Competency, Competency Curriculum. Anne is the president and founder of PolicyWorks and the author of a chapter uh, in the handbook entitled Adoption, Competent Clinical Practice. So thanks so much both for being here. Thanks, Emily. So Debbie, will you begin and tell us uh, a bit about CASE? Give us a brief overview of your mission, the services that you offer. Sure. Well, CASE was uh, co-founded by myself and uh, another individual, Kathleen Dugan, 24 years ago. Um, our mission is to strengthen the well-being of foster and adoptive families, promote adoption awareness, and enhance adoption sensitivity, uh, developing the skills for professionals and families to really, the goal is to empower children to thrive. Um, we've developed an array of, um, I would say, adoption-competent um, responsive services, um, including clinical services, educational trainings, and um, publishing materials to strengthen the field. Um, you know, we really have dedicated our, our mission to ensuring positive outcomes for families. And, you know, I'm really proud that CASE has never really strayed from our mission. Um, you know, we continue to provide specialized pre and post adoption, um, mental health services and educational services, um, and broaden the reach to train professionals. Um, it's really interesting when I was preparing to have this dialogue with you today, I was just looking back on, you know, sort of the impact. Uh, and over the past 24 years, we've served over 6,300 foster and adoptive families, um, both domestically and internationally. So our um, span is across the broad spectrum of adoption. And, you know, really interesting, we conduct about 7,000 counseling sessions annually. So we're probably one of the largest, if, if not the largest entity that focuses exclusively on this population. You know, when I think about the handbook and the work that you're trying to put forward, you know, I think about the, the wealth of information that we have when you look at the breadth of the population that mm -hmm. we've been supporting for so long. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And, you know, I think that our goal is to combine, you know, best practice and innovative, you know, um, I guess programming to meet the specialized needs of, of this population. Um, certainly wanting to address some of the unique issues that are inherent in, you know, foster care and adoption and post-institutionalized children. Um, we have a large um, footprint in that arena. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, yes. Your reputation preceded you when we were putting together the handbook. So uh, we were so excited that you were open to writing this chapter. Yeah. It was so, an honor. Really. Yeah, good. So Anne, why don't you tell us a bit about PolicyWorks and how your organization intersects with CASE? Well, PolicyWorks is a program evaluation and policy research firm founded about 25 years ago and based in Virginia. And it was in my, and the work that we've done has been in education, prevention, juvenile justice, criminal justice, as well as child welfare. And I first became acquainted with CASE when I was evaluating Virginia's statewide post-adoption services network, and CASE was a key partner in that collaboration. Debbie subsequently invited me to consult on some of their evaluation needs, and that was the avenue by which I became acquainted and involved with TAC from the very beginning, and fortunately was able to design the comprehensive evaluation uh, of TAC that actually continues today. That's great, great. Well, and we'll talk a little bit more about TAC in just a little bit, but before we do, um, I'd love to start with you, Anne. Your chapter uh, gives a really detailed definition of what really is meant by adoption competent mental health providers, and also gives some history on how consensus was developed around that definition. And I don't know that it's a term that um, you know everybody's familiar with, so I wondered if you could give a brief overview of that. All right. Um, adoption competency means that the professionals involved with adoption, adoptive families have a real specialized knowledge, skills, and values that equip them to more effectively serve and treat adoptive families. They have a very deep understanding of adoption as a method of family formation, of the normative challenges of that form of adoption, and the core clinical issues that really need to be recognized and addressed within the context of treatment. Their approach is family-based, strength-based, and evidence-based. And when I talk about family-based, it means that the, the therapist believes that a family-based approach is really necessary if you're going to address the critical issues of trauma and of attachment. Um, the therapist really demonstrates a commitment to work with the family as a, a whole, as the core client, rather than the child simply in isolation. Um, therapists also recognize that the challenging behaviors are typically really manifestations of a variety of biological and experiential factors that predate the adoptive um, um, placement and they avoid blaming the, the adoptive family for simply bad parenting, creating these challenges. Um, in, when you view parents as agents, primary agents of healing, the therapist really engage in a very genuine uh, uh, collaboration with the parents. Um, and they provide a good bit more psychoeducation and guidance related to therapeutic parenting than you often see in typical standard mental health practice. Um, when I talk about strength-based, the therapists are really uh, careful to avoid pathologizing the normal developmental processes, and they work to focus on um, empowering the parents 
to tr uh, truly understand, have a deep understanding of your child's history and the implications of the history to reframe behaviors and to really begin to um, master the art of therapeutic parenting. Mm -hmm. um, and then the evidence-based approach, um, it, everything done is based on, you know, it has a, a basis in the research and is supported um, by research, best practice, and, and what is the, the family needs and um, values. But there's also a recognition that there are some real limitations um, in current practice with adoptive families because many of the models of intervention that have recently, in recent years, been recognized as evidence-based um, haven't necessarily been validated specifically with adoptive populations. So um, TAC does not really teach one particular model, but exposes the trainees to all the current models that they might choose from and use strategically in their treatment of families. Mm -hmm. Thanks, that's so helpful. And, and Debbie, I'm uh, assuming that uh, at case, you really can see firsthand the way that adoption competency impacts adoptees, their adoptive family, maybe their birth or first family. Can you say a bit more about why having an adoption competent mental health provider would be so important? You know, Emily, just to sort of set the tone on this, I mean, yes, we do see it. And I think that's how we came to this place of wanting to create these products and really move a workforce that um, would have these competencies. You know, I'm, I'm a marriage and family therapist now of probably close to 37, 38 years. And, you know, when I first moved into this specialized work, I didn't know what I know now. And, you know, that's how I came to thinking about the impact that we were having and that um, it really was a, a specialization. I mean, we know that there are elevated health, mental health risks that impact, you know, adopted children, youth, um, birth families, first families, you know, those adopted from foster care institutions. And, you know, in general, you see in the research that adopted children are represented in higher levels of mental health care. And in my earlier work, I was always concerned about why was that? And why weren't we seeming to, in the field, align um, treatment protocols that, you know, really help to support this population. And in fact, the research had showed that um, there were poor clinical outcomes. And when you interviewed members of the adoption network, they reported not having access to um, qualified clinicians or um, the clinicians that they were working with really didn't have the skill set and the knowledge to address the issues that were being presented. So, um, in fact, some families reported more harm than good. I mean, you know, it kind of pains my, my heart to, you know, when families come and you see sort of the negative impact. Um, and so I, you know, kind of believe in my core now as a therapist, I'll take my administrator hat off for a minute, um, that the issues in foster care and adoption does really require a subspecialty of training and knowledge that doesn't come by, um, just graduate level um, training. Mm -hmm. And I think adoption competency, you know, uh, training is critical to the well being of um, those we serve in, in this network. Right. Yeah. I would think it's so um, 
even well connected with issues of adoption disruption, adoption disillusion, and um, mental health outcomes. There's such a broad range of outcomes that could be connected with. Yeah. yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I think that's what motivated my work in this this area that we're talking about now, because we began to see that we were preventing disruptions and disillusionments and and um, really seeing positive outcomes because we were we had a focused treatment. I'll use the word model loosely because we still haven't been able to fully test that, but um, the efficacy I think really spoke to why we needed to take the tenants than, than we did and how we vetted those to formulate this conceptualization of adoption competency training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, one thing you mentioned um, as you were talking about your definition is that um, adoption competency is marked by certain principles and foundational requirements and then these competencies that you outlined. And we had this um, conversation back when you were writing your chapter about the relationship between between those things and really um, your your answer to me at that time really clarified it for me. And so I wondered if we could kind of recreate that discussion a bit. Could you tell me a bit about how you see the principles, the foundational requirements, the competencies kind of relating to each other, fitting together? Good. Well, actually the specifications of the competencies and the development of an expert consensus definition of an adoption competent mental health professional actually came first with an ex with expert advisors case more than a decade ago now specified some 336 knowledge skills and belief competencies that were organized into 18 domains and that really formed the foundation for TAC. TAC was actually designed its curriculum was designed to develop those specific 336 competencies. Um, subsequently, um, and, and it was designed to actually um, be offered as training to clinicians who already met the foundational requirements of graduate training and clinical licensure. So we're, you know, we're not seeking uh, in this training to substitute for basic clinical competence, but to build on top of that and make more of a specialty. And we've recently begun to ask the uh, enrollees about their motivation for train uh, for enrolling. And interestingly, um, the most prevalent is just a professional interest in this population. But the second most frequent uh, reason is the desire to de develop a specialty practice. There's a recognition in the field of a need for this additional, um, and you know, we feel that it very much validated our reasons for creating this and the same reasons that they have for, for enrolling. The practice principles have been developed more recently. They're consistent with the original definition but now they're informed by a huge body of data uh, on clinical practice from the TAC evaluation, and therefore they're not only theoretically sound, but they really have a very strong empirical base now. That's so helpful. Thanks uh, for clarifying that. Yeah, so Debbie, I'm gonna um, ask you to add a bit to some of the 
thread of ideas that Anne is bringing up about this adoption competency being an advanced area of clinical practice. Um, you alluded to it earlier, um, but I wondered if you could say more about that. You know, why, why are you seeing adoption competency as this um, distinct subspecialty maybe or area of advanced practice? And how is it different than um, just being trauma-informed? I think, you know, a lot of therapists or counselors um, seek out that, that sort of um, approach. And I, I'd like to hear from your perspective how adoption competency builds on that a bit. Sure, you know, we've now learned from, as Anne said, the, the rigorous evaluation of, of TAC and also um, the uh, national training initiative that we have um, funded through the Children's Bureau um, that you know, mental health providers, you know, and we also look at child welfare when we're looking at NTI, um, really um, lack the depth of knowledge that Anne is speaking to and the skills to treat the confounding complexities of, of these issues that are connected to these domains that, that Anne is referencing. And um, the adoption competent therapist training is, is really embedded now in, a, as she's saying, a theoretical and philosophical framework um, that establishes a foundation, and I want to use the word foundation of clinical knowledge, the practice and the skills woven in, you know, your ethics and then the cultural competence on which I think the specialization um, can be developed. You know, when we think about the validating the need um, for these competencies and going beyond sort of the where we were as a field is, is that focus on trauma training. In the NTI pilot, for example, um, we reached over 5,100 child welfare workers and supervisors. And in one of the modules, this is really interesting, that focused on the concepts of loss and grief, which are one of the core uh, domains in, in, in our, our training for TAC and, and in NTI. Um, these are social workers that had at least seven years of experience, uh, supervisors 15 years of experience, out of the 10 questions that they were to answer on a pretest for the areas of the issues of loss and grief, this um, body of, of individuals scored uh, could only answer four questions out of 10. Mm -hmm. So this was really alarming to us. It was alarming to the Children's Bureau to think that you know all of this work is predicated on loss, and yet we have a workforce that did not understand the underpinnings and the connection to unresolved loss and grief and the impact on children's mental health. After the intervention of NTI, we were seeing scores at a level of about 94.4%. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think this just speaks to when we have this narrow focus that everything, we see the trauma as part of this larger foundational body of, of knowledge that we want to impart. Mm -hmm. um, it was also interesting in mental health in the pilot, this is really fascinating, the area that mental health providers scored the lowest, which is also makes me feel sad, was the area of attachment. Mm -hmm. Now, you would think that most of us in our basic training, right, would have pretty strong foundational knowledge in the area of attachment when working with children and adolescents. And in that pilot, um, they only could answer three out of 10 questions. Wow. And these were providers that had about 10 years of clinical experience. 
so I, I hope that that gave you some, you know, validation of why this, this should exist yeah. and why we need to open the lens beyond the trauma informed, you know, fo- you know, sort of focus. Yeah, those are some big gaps in knowledge to address. Yeah, well, and let me follow up because we've been talking about, we've been used, throwing around these acronyms and we should, let me ask you a little bit more about them. So um, Case has been involved in uh, developing and delivering the Training and Adoption Competency or TAC that we've been talking about and then the National Training Initiative or NTI. And I wondered if you could um, just compare, contrast them a little bit and describe um, the intended role of both and audience, you know, who, who would be best for both of those approaches? Sure. So for the TAC program, Training for Adoption Competency, it, it was designed um, to really be a postmaster's uh, focusing on clinically licensed mental health professionals um, who were seeking a, a more advanced training beyond foundational. And it really is um, focused on, you know, the clinical practice of therapists working with uh, this population in public-private um, arenas. Uh, it is really meant to be, and it, you know, sort of this advanced um, focus, uh, really delving into these critical issues uh, in adoption uh, to, as Anne said, weave in what we see as best practice uh, that aligns with um, meeting the needs of the population. And we're really also focused on opportunities for transfer and application of learning through clinical case consultation. So woven throughout the TAC curriculum, which is 72 hours and initially classroom-based right now, you know, we, we've been able to move it to a virtual platform, but we hope to get back um, for a lot of reasons to classroom-based. We're weaving in uh, at least five of the 11 modules, the opportunity for the students to present cases that are aligned with those uh, topical areas, those um, competencies, so that we can help um, further embed those skills into practice. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned from clinicians that have been you know, in the TAC protocol is that the work has been very isolating and to keep them engaged in this very hard work, they have found the um, clinical consultation as to be invaluable and some of these groups have actually continued past, uh, past uh, TAC. Um, the other difference about TAC, and Anna and I are really proud of this, because we set forth the evaluation very early in the protocol, uh, we have moved TAC to an evidence-based rating by the California uh, Evidence-Based Clearinghouse. NTI, uh, on the other hand, is um, a, a, a wonderful opportunity to, I think, make a, a great impact in, in the field in um, moving this knowledge forward where we're reaching mental health professionals that are licensed or not licensed, interfacing in public and private agencies um, for the mental, um, mental health curriculum, and then for child welfare to infuse NTI, again, which is web-based, uh, into all child welfare agencies, tribes, and territories uh, across the country. So I would say uh, our focus in NTI is, is really moving those foundational content forward, basing it on current research and practice to elevate um, the knowledge base of those individuals that are interfacing with this population, again, 
um, the mental health curriculum in NTI's 25 hours of standardized interactive web-based training organized into 10 modules and has a plethora of downloadable resources and um, I think tools that uh, the field uh, the providers can access. And then for um, child welfare, it's 20 hours of standardized, again, interactive web-based training with eight modules with wonderful resources. And then we also added um, foundational modules to help supervisors again, focusing on transfer of learning, how to embed some of this in their clinical supervision with their staff. So it's just so exciting that, you know, we have this range of uh, products um, that can take it from foundational to really intensive work with this population. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's really exciting to see the tax sites spread across the nation, just that there's remote sites where people can access that. Yeah. We're in we have 18 partners uh, for TAC across the country. And for NTI now, NTI now, we have over 20 state systems that have embedded it into their um, learning management systems or their you know, uh, community-based mental health. So it's really exciting that we're moving this footprint across the country. Yes, yes. And Anne, you've been really involved um, through with PolicyWorks partnership with CASE uh, in the evaluation of TAC. And I wondered if you could say a bit about, yeah, what's your latest update on some of the research that you've been doing about its effectiveness? Okay. Well, the evaluation of TAC is designed to evaluate um, the delivery of the training, the effectiveness of the training, and the outcomes in terms of changes in clinical practice and certain defined areas. Um, the findings have consistently demonstrated TAC to be a very effective, um, a very high quality, high relevance curriculum and to be developed or delivered effectively by the, um, the TAC trainers. Something we do that few training programs do, but really is best practice, is that we do fidelity observations. Uh, we do pretty intensive observations um, of the uh, new trainers, and then we cut back just a little bit, but we do continue observations, even of our most experienced um, trainers, and we make sure that they're delivering 100% of the content, that they're doing the learning activities, and that essentially the, the curriculum is delivered uh, in a way it's designed and intended to be delivered. So um, that's been a rather labor intensive initiative because someone has to sit there all day long and do a very detailed observation and report. And then the other part of this that I have to commend case for is that there are debriefing calls following the delivery of each module for the new trainers and then the delivery of every two or three modules for our more experienced trainers. So we, um, we share with them the feedback from the participants and what the trainers observed at the time. And we um, debrief that and they think about, well, maybe how I can deliver this better next time or if there are issues or sometimes we learn about new resources that we incorporate back into the curriculum as soon as possible. So 
um, it, it, it's a very, um, it's not just a scholarly exercise or an academic exercise to collect data. The data get used and the, the data get used immediately in debriefing calls and it's used systematically as um, the modules are, are looked at and updated and refined. So probably the richest data we get is from uh, our participants in their descriptions of how their practices have been influenced by the training. And at this point, we have some 20,000 narrative uh, descriptions of clinical practices. And it is actually those that have helped inform development of the practice principles. And we anticipate a continuation of, of this robust evaluation which is really an important element in the accreditation of the training program. Now, what I've described thus far has really focused just on the evaluation of TAP as a training model, but we have always wanted to take the next step and to examine whether or not um, TAP, whether or not we're able to see any effects of the training in the quality and effectiveness of the um, of the treatment in a community-based mental health setting. And fortunately, the Annie E. Casey Foundation did fund us to do such a study, and we have just completed that study. Um, and more specifically, the study assessed whether or not TAC-trained clinicians are perceived by adoptive parents as being more effective than um, comparably based comparably qualified clinicians who were not TAC trained and whether or not the outcomes for adoptive families um, are better when they see a, a TAC trained clinician. And um, we looked specifically at the adoptive parent satisfaction with treatment, which is a really basic kind of measure, but it's a real good barometer for how long they're going to actually engage. If they're just satisfied, they often discontinue. So we look at satisfaction, we look at the quality of the alliance with the clinician, adoption sensitivity or relevance of the treatment, and the family well-being and basic functioning of the children um, post-intervention compared to pre-intervention, what brought them to the treatment. We collected data from 159 adoptive parent, uh, parents. Um, 89 of the families had been treated by TAC-trained clinicians, 70 families treated by comparably qualified clinicians. And across all four areas of inquiry, we have statistically significant differences were found. Those treated were more satisfied with the, by TAC trained clinicians were more satisfied. They achieved a more positive alliance with the clinician. They experienced um, treatment that they felt was far more relevant to their issues. And they reported higher levels of well being and basic functioning of the children. So we're preparing manuscripts now and we're really eager to share this with the field and so thankful that we were able to take um, the evaluation a next step to look at outcomes. 
Yes, yes. I was so excited to hear you were doing that work because that just seems like such a important uh, part of demonstrating its effectiveness. And so it's exciting that we, that's completed. We wanted to do it several years earlier, but we didn't have the funding. And then we, yeah. when we got it, we were able to move forward and we're delighted to have done it. Great, great. And Debbie, maybe add a bit to um, what Anne was talking about in terms of uh, NTI's evaluations, if there's anything you wanted to add about that. And then also, what are some of Case's future plans about implementation and, and that sort of thing? I, you know, where, where for NTI, the evaluation, I mean, it was <clears> really, um, I think, amazing that we were able to reach over 10,000 um, through a eight state pilot, 10,000 users, both child welfare and mental health. And, you know, for uh, child welfare, we had almost a 74% completion rate. When you think about the impact of, of how many child welfare workers, you know, we hear that they're overwhelmed, they're, you know, they're burnt out, they have so much training, hung in there with a, you know, synchronistic web-based training protocol and had such high completion rates with sort of astounding feedback about the relevance to practice. Again, we were hoping that we could have similar outcomes with change in practice is really exciting. I mean, you know, this is a product where you just can't put it on and, you know, go through some laundry in. I mean, you really have to engage. And, you know, just what I'd shared before, what we were seeing in pre and post, just the tremendous um, sort of acquisition of knowledge in these critical uh, domain um, areas. So uh, we're really excited about that. And we're excited that the, you know, federal, the Children's Bureau has added more funding to the grant so that we could move it even further into other systems. Um, I think what lies ahead, and kind of alluded a little bit to this, but from 2009, when we started TAC, we began researching the um, underpinnings of a accreditation or certification. I, you know, I felt, I do feel really strongly that this is a subspecialty and should be recognized in that way. Um, and recognized also by third party reimbursement and, you know, just really move this forward, but it needed something more behind it, certainly to get the evidence-based rating that's important. So we've just finished a very rigorous process to submit TAC uh, to the Institute of Credentialing Excellence where um, we're in our second round of responses back to them, but believe that this should get approved, that it will be the first adoption competency training program to be accredited in the country. And it will be assessment based. So moving forward, all of the practitioners that take the 72 hour um, training will have to complete 135 based exam. And I think that this, for me, the importance is really protecting families. Um, you know, I, I want a family to know that when they're picking up the phone and calling someone for help, that they're going to get a clinician that has had this rigorous training and had to perform in some way to show that they have acquired the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure it would even serve as an incentive for clinicians as well, you know, to be able to build their practice if they have this um, demonstrated subspecialty. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that those who are listening to the podcast or, yeah. you know, however they're getting this information and reading yeah. what's fabulous in the handbook, um, that they'll come on board, that they'll want to take the trainings that we have to offer and really become part of this 
I think movement that, you know, is really critical. So um, those listening, check us out, come yeah. to the website. Definitely. Uh, as we conclude, both of your chapters end with some really helpful policy um, implications, practice implications, and we've been, you know, this, our whole conversation talking a bit about them, but certifying these uh, programs, um, changes to graduate training, maybe incentive structures to get clinicians um, into this training. And I wondered if you could both speak to um, where you see progress happening, and if individuals want to advocate on behalf of this, these kind of policies, do you have suggestions for them about how to do that? Um, and, and Debbie, maybe I'll, I'll let you begin. Well, I think um, just the mere fact of the penetration that we've had um, really says that we've moved the, the needle in the field. And I think the kind of funding when you begin to see, you know, the federal government getting behind this, it really speaks to that. I think we've, educated the field to the relevance um, and efficacy of, of this type of training. Um, I'm hoping that there'll be continued funding to, to continue offering these um, initiatives. Uh, we're beginning to see some language and policy, uh, state and federal level around adoption competency. And, um, you know, I think that um, I'm hoping that those listening will advocate for uh, the training within their own systems of care, whether they're large systems or whether you're, you know, in smaller organizations, community-based, that you help your administration see the value of bringing uh, these trainings into your systems. Great, great. Anne, anything you would add? Uh, I would just hope that the policymakers and, and organizational decision makers really look at the body of evidence supporting the need for adoption competency and begin to really ensure that those that are treating adoptive parents are equipped, well equipped to do so. As a researcher, I would love to see our outcome study replicated elsewhere um, and perhaps even dig a bit deeper into some of the aspects of, of that study. And finally, um, it, in, in addition, I'd really like to see more treatment models that are validated for adoptive populations so that we would have greater certainty of these, the effectiveness of these models with this particular population. Great, great. Well, thank you so much both for your time and for writing the chapters to begin with. Uh, again, we were so thankful that both of you uh, were willing to contribute. It was an honor to have been asked and a wonderful opportunity to um, advance and, and inform, help inform the field further about this area. Yeah, I, I thank you for the thanks, Emily. We really appreciate the opportunity and um, it was a wonderful experience. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at Adoption Roundtable. Please subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. We love to hear from you and have conversations about your reactions, questions, and experiences. We'd especially appreciate feedback if you have topics or questions that we could address in future episodes. You can find me on Facebook at helder.emily and at my website, emilyhelder.com. There you can sign up for my newsletter for the latest on adoption research and practice. Thanks for joining us.